Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. If you ever thought about making your passion your career, well, Brad's guest could be your soulmate. Brad, I'm not going to go any further. Would you please introduce us to graffiti artist Phil 3000 Feet, or as I call him, Phil. <laughs> so... We'll start with a little story here. I have a very eclectic decorating taste and recently got a new house and went through and just put concrete everywhere. Got at the bathroom, put in concrete, ripped out a bunch of kitchen cabinets, made concrete walls. And in one section in my living room used to be this hideous old fake fireplace, ripped that thing out. And then I put a concrete section in there. You know, it looks like a kind of a beam sticking out from the wall and I was going to put up some shelves and put some plants on it and stuff like that. And then I thought, hey, why wouldn't this be a focus piece? Why couldn't it be just a focal for the entire, you know, first floor and do a dope piece of art? And then I thought, well, I probably shouldn't do it. I should probably find someone absolutely amazing to do it instead. And I just happened to grab Fell when he had a, a brief opening in his schedule and he came out and he's one of the original graffiti artists in Detroit that really turned her turned some of the most magnificent buildings into pieces of art over the years. And he came out, we hung out in my living room for about eight hours. And it's absolutely amazing how it turned out. And more than that, I just got fascinated with his story, his background and his passion and how he turned that into a career. And many of the advisors or professionals listening today is like, okay, we're listening to a graffiti artist. I think this relates so closely because it's a passion. It's something that he really found he had a gift for and he could help people express himself. And he turned that into a very successful career. So with that, Fel, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. Brad, I got to tell you, I've never, I've done a lot of murals and I've painted inside and outside of buildings, some personal residential Never once have I ever seen anybody start cooking lunch in the middle of me spray painting a wall. That was a first. I thought that was great. And to be fair, it wasn't lunch, right? It was my better half's daughter is a fantastic chef and artist, by the way. And she does all my meal prepping. So she actually had a break in her day, came over and started doing meal prepping. And it was the craziest day. We got spray paint, we got chicken and rice. It's just, it was a heck of a lot of, <laughs> but it smelled fabulous. I, I thought, wow, this is really awesome. Ne never happened before. I don't Probably even think she offered that. you any, did she? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody was super, super nice. I think that over the last couple of years, that's probably been one of my more favorite projects just in working around really great people. And, you know, like you said, the girls are super talented as well, which is always inspiring to be around people who are young that are good at what they do and have a passion. So she's just cooking away. And the whole house looked like it was ready for a crime scene, didn't it? Yeah, we had all everywhere the Dexter, and Dexter plastic up, you know, it was a bunch of plastic everywhere. <laughs> Something was going on. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into grabbing spray paint off the shelf and slapping it on the sides of buildings? You know, tell us a little bit about the scene in Detroit when you first started doing that. Okay. Let's hear about the origin story, you know? 
It's, it's kind of crazy. I really didn't have any idea about anything as far as like hip hop culture or graffiti, but, um, one day these kids who were super interesting moved into my neighborhood and they were from the Bronx and they would, they started going to our school. They lived in my neighborhood. We loved their accent. So we were enamored. We just like hung out with them all the time. And uh, every so often in the summer, they would go back to New York and visit other family, their grandparents and stuff like that. And they'd come back with these pictures of graffiti and like street art and stuff that was just really starting to become hot. It was roughly around 1982, in between 82 and 83, that I first picked up the cans and started doing it. And there was really nobody around. There was another guy who actually had started painting graffiti about six months prior but he was all the way on the east side of Detroit and I was like 11 years old. So I'm not going to travel to the east side. He would have never come across me. He's about a year older than me or maybe around the same age. So we would have never crossed each other's paths. And we didn't until like 15 years. Like, you know, I think I was like 16 when I finally met that guy, but we were the only two from that time, from that point of 82, 83 until I was like maybe 15 or 16 years old. But, um, those kids from New York would always bring back just the most amazing pictures. And I was just like, I just threw myself into it. And um, I started jumping on the uh, jump on the boxcars. They would have these what they call layover spots. And so the trains would stop there as a sort of like resting spot or whatever. And as a kid, now mind you, I'm 11 years old. I'm doing this junk. It's ridiculous. I'm jumping on the train, riding it downtown. Okay, there's another layover spot that stops right, right near Rosa Parks, or you'd end up in Southwest right around Lafayette. And I would jump off and I would paint as many trains as I could or whatever. And then I would jump back on the train going the opposite way and ride it home. And I'd be covered in like dust and dirt and oil and paint. And my mom would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing an arts and crafts thing by the school or whatever. <laughs> That's great, honey. I don't want to say she was naive, like, to, but she was naive to the idea that I would have been doing that at 11. Pretty crazy. I love that. Arts and crafts. Meanwhile, arts you're hopping and, on, arts and crafts, mom. Hopping on trains at 11 years old. <laughs> totally. Totally. Like, I, I'll tell you, um, I, I don't suffer from boredom when I think back at my youth I mean there was always something going on or some excursion like we weren't allowed to like buy spray paint so we had to do this thing called racking which is kind of unfortunate and I don't really like I have immigrant parents so my dad was like in his best Greek voice if you steal you're no good you don't do that so we would raid people's garages or whatever we could get like hey man does your dad still have that that can of Krylon in his back. Oh, can I get that? <laughs> and then we would uh, steal like caps off of our, our mom's cleaners, like like uh, any aerosol thing that had a uh, unique like spray paint cap. Using like pledge WD caps. And... pledge, you name it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom's like, where is this? Why did I just had this? And I'm, it, you can hear me jingling, walking around. I was like, you know, everywhere I go. But it was always a really interesting and unique time, especially in the summer. So I don't suffer from being thinking back on those times as being boring. <laughs> I can't imagine. So how do you go from rogue, not even a teenager yet, rogue child stealing pledge caps and WD-40 cans and stuff like that to starting to create a business out of something you're so passionate about? I mean, you've traveled the world now. 
doing your art, how do you go from one to the other? Well, you know, it actually at first started by accident. I mean, from from probably the time I was 11 until I was maybe 18, 19, I was considered a felon or doing something quite illegal. And there was a shift. I mean, there were good ethics in my home. My dad and my mom both like installed real good ethics in me, but it wouldn't sound like it by, well, this was my beginning. But um, a friend of mine had pulled me, he was like a youth minister. And he said, listen, he said, I got all these kids that keep talking about your artwork from Southwest Detroit. And if you don't get, if you don't come and talk to them, they know your work. I'm going to lose these kids to the gangs and that kind of violence. And I, I remember talking to him and I said, look, man, I said, I'm wanted. You want me to do what? Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not talking to no kids, but he was like, look, you owe me. I've helped you out in the past. You just come. And I thought about it long and hard and I went and there were supposed to be 10 kids at this thing. And there was, oh God, it could have been anywhere between, I don't know, 30 to 40 kids there. Wow. And I was just like, oh my God, I am dead. Like these guys, this is going to, this is going to get me in trouble. But I started working with that youth minister and I started to realize that like, I could probably turn something negative into a positive. And then I really cared about the city of Detroit. As you know, Detroit's on a high swing for comeback, but back then it was one of the most dangerous places in the world. And I thought, how do I use my voice to better the city that I care about so much? So I started doing, um, outreach programs and neighborhood beautifications just to bring awareness. And then I started to see that there was a need for that. And that, that need to tell a good story, to show the pride in your hometown, it turned from that into getting a lot of commissions. Um, people, it resonated with people because I'd leave my thoughts on the wall and stuff. And I would say things about being a proud Detroiter and how we could pull together. So I'd get a commission wall that'd be like a one story or three stories or whatever. And I'd write something positive about home and about our community and about our belief in not dying or giving up when people tell us that we can't. Because Detroit's kind of like a, you're going you're gonna to tell us that we can't do that kind of town. We'll show you. We'll show you we can do otherwise. And after a while, the commissions just started to come in more and more, and I started being able to work a regular job less and less. That's so awesome. And the, just the message that you took something that originally was an outlet and that you were arguably wanted from the police and probably go to jail for, and then <laughs> you turned that into a positive message for other children that were struggling and potentially going to be making bad decisions in their lives and show them, Absolutely. hey, there's there's something different here. But throughout all of that, that positive message resonated inside of you, but also just pushed out into the community. And that's what led to your success was that mentality. I think so. You know, like one of the things I have to say about being a kid and painting illegally, a lot of people would, there's a code to being a graffiti writer and there's certain things that you just don't do. Kids nowadays, really, they just get everything handed to them from, from the internet a lot of times. And so it's not the best way to learn that kind of culture because it's supposed to be something a little bit handed down. So some of that's been lost. But when I was a kid, the code was you just don't paint buildings that are like mom and pop stores. And I mostly painted trains and which isn't 
necessarily legal, but I painted a lot of abandoned buildings. There was a lot of urban decay. I would go in there and that's where I would sharpen my tools and refine my craft. And so it wasn't like I was creating a more blight on the city that was, I mean, inside a building, you'd have to go search for it. But I mean, after a while with urban exploring and things like that, the word got out. I was out and about and people started to seek me out. And after seeking me out and me sort of moving into that more public field, it was a lot easier for people to get a hold of me and, and work with me and stuff. And since then, I've put back, or at least tried to put back 20-fold to a, like 70-fold more of what I ever took from the city being a naive teenager, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just shows a lot of character. And we all make really dumb choices, especially when we're 11, 12, 13 years old. Of course, of course. So, okay. So you've graduated from street hooligan to commissioned artist and you're starting to get more work in, staying busy. And then how do you, what happens then where you transition? Because I know you've done pieces all across the world. You've done competitions. Like how does that work in the graffiti world? Well, it's it's interesting, like they started seeing a lot of people started to notice that like street art and graffiti art really kind of would draw in a crowd. And it had this whole subculture that uh, needed an outlet. You know, how they say any successful thing generally starts from being on the ground floor. It's a right place, right time kind of thing. And in all these cities, graffiti started to take off and they started to do these events. So the events would be like, 40 guys um, commissioned or non-commissioned to come and paint in an area and uh, display their work. And the facilitators of this event would do book, you know, like a graphic magazine where they would take pictures of the graffiti and then they would sell the magazines to stores or whatever, or they would do videos and have the videos of the people that were there painting or show. That was the only way you could get to it. There was no internet. So it was sort of like, you know, you found it where you could find it, you get it where you could get it. And, but, but the people that were in these different cities had the, had the insight to, well, let's set an event. Let's have these guys come out. And as you started to gain a reputation, um, you'd meet and network with other people who would show up. You'd be in Cincinnati and somebody in New York would be like, Hey, I'm throwing an event in two months. We love your work. Would you like to come out? And so I would go out and I really had this focus on like, how do I show people that Detroit has a strong art scene? How do I show them that they have a strong graffiti scene and let them know that, you know, we're here. And so I started traveling more and more doing that. And then people would find my work interesting. Those books and magazines would put out the work and then eventually it would lead to commission work in those cities. And that's kind of how that happened. The most crazy thing was to see some of the things that, that happened back home. Uh, if you would have told me that I was going to paint the entire stadium for the Lions and do Ford Field when I was a kid, I mean, I might have had an ego and said, you're darn right I would have. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but as an adult, I mean, I would have been I'd have been like, there's no way that's going to happen. And it was such a blessing to be able to do that. So I got to do, I, I was introduced to the Ford company through uh, Media Swing and they had commissioned me to do a piece for uh, Taylor Swift as a gift. It was her first like concert there or something like that. And so they had me paint this big banner of her, like a cartoon with her cats painting graffiti on a wall and it said her name. 
And that was the beginning of that. I did another one the following year for Kenny Chesney and Kenny liked it. He kept it like it was him and all his buddies sitting on the beach, like drinking rum. And they gave me portraits of those guys. And I painted the portraits of each one of them just sitting on the beach with, you know, just getting wasted and having a good time. And he liked it so much. He took it that following year. Then they hit me up and said, Hey, we'd really love to have you paint the tunnel. And would you be interested in that? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'd love to paint the tunnel. So now anytime you see the lions walk through that tunnel, if you get any footage of that, that artwork is all my work. And I got to do, I think 11 or 12 walls overall throughout the entire stadium. It's nuts. Scratching my head in there, like standing on the field, looking up at at the entire stadium, like, how did this happen? This is like, are they going to kick me out of here at any minute? Like, who's going to come and get me and be like, get out. Yeah. You know? Flashbacks, a dirty, dusty 11 year old, you hopping on sure. and off trains, right? Absolutely. I'm like, ready to run, ready to run. We had a couple of really good moments, though, for Detroit that really brought forth a lot of um, hometown support. I painted I painted the gearhead girl that's facing the Whitney on on Hopcat right off of Woodward and Canfield. And, uh, and I've seen that a million times and it is so cool. Oh, thanks. I did that piece in three days. Wow. We had an open window of 60 to 70 degree weather in three days. And I was like, it was going to snow. It was like November and it was going to snow and get like 30 degrees after those three days. And boy, I worked 16, 17 hours on that thing to get it done. And I was just like, I got to get it. I got to get it. Because once the weather changes, you're in for it because it'll peel the next year. It has to be 55 degrees or above for outdoor stuff to stick. And you have to have at least a couple of days for that. And we were lucky. It, it, it held up. But and that's, then, that's Detroit too, right? From 1670 oh yeah. to two days later, it's snowing in 30. <laughs> oh my God. I was just saying to somebody the other day, I was like, wasn't it like 70 degrees a week and a half ago? Where did this 22 degrees come from? And how do we go backwards? It's crazy. But then we did, we did, there was a, a spread done in, I think it was the Detroit news. I was on the, on the front page might have been either that or the free press did a, a big piece in the dequinder cut and i had wrote true to my nature i had wrote a like a quote on the side about how detroit was a star being born under immense pressure and like it just basically said something loosely i'm quoting myself loosely it said that beacon in the night is our fair city rising you know yeah and i didn't think that that was going to really resonate with people but i mean that's still up and people even in a dilapidated state i still get people who shoot it and tag me and say hey man i love that piece or so after that i was working a lot more at home than i was anywhere else and i mean i still travel and everything and i mean i'm i'm actually working on a job now where i'm supposed to be out in la but um it's just like i would have never thought that i would have been so busy at home but people want to hire from from where they're at and you know what better way to support locally than to buy locally? So one of the things that just really struck me about our conversations in the past, you know, when, when you came over and we hung out, we had the better half, we had three teenagers running around and they're all just, they're great artists and they're just, they're kind of at and that super age. Great right? people. They're like yeah. super oh. great people too. Oh, You're no. so lucky to be surrounded with so many amazing people. And they all have this, this like 
budding artistic talent. And what I really appreciated about the time we spent together is you were asking them questions, you were interacting with them, you were teaching them things. We actually had each of the girls put a piece on the, like baked but, right into your art. And it turned out favorite. so well. And, oh, I love that stuff. And it's so funny because they're all doing the TikToks and the Instagrams and all that stuff. And old folks like you and I, we don't, we're not as good at it as they are. And it's they're just, so it's savvy, just, right? Yeah, they're so technical savvy. And they're just so the the different outlets these kids have now for how to express art in a positive way is just absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. So they're using I, that voice too, which is so amazing. Like they're not holding back. It just, they're swinging for the stands and making differences, which I, I'm so impressed with. But I don't know. It just amazes me to see young people that, that inspiring. I mean, I, I don't know how you could be an older person and not see a younger person and see them doing and go, no, nah, I'm not interested or meh. I, I'm usually in <laughs> awe. You know? And it's kind of like followed you through your whole career, right? Like when you first got into exposing who you were, it was to help youth and help direct them. And talk a little bit about your kind of continued passion for that. When I was a kid, I bumped into a graffiti writer that was like somebody who I, I mean, well, the guy was a legend. And so as a kid, you're standing around someone who you idolize and you try to make yourself look bigger. And I was like, oh man, I'm so dope. I'm so this, I'm so that. And the guy was like, man, you really suck at this. And you should really not, you should really, you should really just stop, just, okay, stop talking. And I was like, wow, like he crushed me. He goes, listen, I'm going to give you some good advice. He goes, if you want to really be a legend, if you really want to do something to really solidify your name as one of the true legends in your town. You have to, instead of ripping people down that are around you, you have to take what you have and give that to those other people who are now up and coming. He said, those people will scream your name to the rooftops and you benefit by all the good you give them and they will learn to hand it down as well. And I was like, I don't know, I was like 16 or I was just like, holy crap. He just like blown my mind. And so after that, I said, there's just no way if anybody walks up to me, because usually the graffiti thing and the street art thing, like they cultivate their techniques and then they hoard them a lot of the time. Well, that was the train of thought back then. And, and this guy was telling me, do the complete opposite, give everything you can to those people and fuel the youth so that they can in turn continue to do that as they hand down the lessons they learned from you. You become more of a legend that way, but also you help your communities benefit by what art could be created from that positive that you've handed over. And I'll tell you, it's infectious. When you get around kids who are really genuinely interested in art and in making a difference, I'll sit around with them all day. You can ask me anything you want. You don't have to pay for it. I'm going to sit there and talk to you if I can guide you, if I can help you, because I would have loved to have had anyone around me at that at those times in my life when I was coming up to be like hey kid let me show you how to do this I can elevate your level if you take this and think a certain kind of way now the other thing that's interesting about kids is it's not all give to them and no take back younger people have a different perspective on how they look at things and as we get older and longer in our careers we get set in our ways and it is way better to see a fresh-eyed approach and somebody who is current and listening to the ground 
I mean, if you never listened to anything that the youth were saying, you wouldn't know to post any of your work on TikTok. You wouldn't know to post your work and how to post your work successfully on social media. And nowadays, you can paint any wall you want or do any artwork you want to do or any gallery work you want to do. But nobody's going to see it because everyone is paying attention to social media as a tool and an outlet. So if you're too rigid, you're going to get you're going to get the wave knocked over your head and you're going to end up drowning in that. So it's a benefit and it's a give and take. And not only do I get so much enjoyment out of it by seeing these kids flourish, I I get a lot of enjoyment out of, you know, learning new things and new perspective. I think there's so many things we could extrapolate out of that. And the business owners and the financial professionals listening to this, you know, just that mentality of give without expecting in return, I think that is both applicable to hiring new advisors, working with your clients, any any of that, just that mentality of like, okay, let's help everybody be better and then all ships rise. That to me has always been something that just makes a lot of sense. So if, if you're the only person doing your profession and you do it really, really well, but you're the only one, then it's not going to grow. It's not going to turn into this city changing life changing I, the worst thing about like that ideology being a monopoly in that sense is that it keeps you very rigid you need to be very flexible and ready to grow and if your mentality is stuck one way without any without any way to move and you're not flexible competition causes you to push yourself in a way that like you got to stay hungry just because you're on top of any kind of mountain. Don't get comfortable because you can get the floor knocked out right from underneath you if you're too comfortable. So it's always good to stay hungry, especially in, in business. And when it comes to art or anything that you're, where you're creating goods and services, it's very easy to become stagnant in your thinking. And we've seen a lot of, well, we've seen a lot of companies that were fortune 500 companies fold with that kind of mentality. You know, people who didn't think that, you know, the internet was worth investing in or people who thought certain stocks or like take Bitcoin, for instance, nobody ever thought when it first came out, they were like, well, I'm going to buy what? Air? What are we buying? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, I mean, and I wouldn't say Bitcoin's a good representation today. Maybe that situation's gotten rigid, but there are these peaks and valleys. And I think that if you're hungry, you're able to see those peaks and valleys a bit better then if you control the situation and narrative and become obsolete in, in, in that story. Well, this has been a, just a a fantastic 30 minutes, sir. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I love that. Every time I come home, I get to see a piece of art that, that not only get to watch you and the kids create, but also just developing a friendship while doing that. So really appreciate you being on the show. I am sure that the listeners will want to connect, see some of your artwork, fly oh, yeah. out to their private homes. How in the heck do we, how the heck do they get a hold of you? The website right now is under more construction. So the navigation to some of the other things aren't so great right now, but it is uh, fel3000ft.com. But also all the most current stuff on social media would be on Instagram under the same name, FEL3000FT. And I mean, if you type in that name, it'll pull up just about anything that I'm doing as far as social media. And I keep everything very current. So, you know, I'm currently working on a gallery show right now for, we got 
45 pieces. And that show is supposed to be at Chroma on West Grand Boulevard, probably around May. But I'm still doing commissions and work on walls and residential and you name it. So check me out online or on my personal page. Well, thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate your time today. Oh, Brad, like, like you said, man, the feeling is extremely mutual. I feel so blessed to have you as a friend and to meet you and the girls and everybody. And this was a real treat. Thank you so much for having me. Don't miss any episode of Be Advised Leading with Value. All you have to do is subscribe or follow to the podcast. And of course, please share with others. Thank you for listening to Be Advised Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.